Hello, good morning. It's good to be back at church, my church, my home church, church family. I've been traveling for a few weeks. I'm tired of it. It's good to be home, good to be with all of you. I uh, do want to remind all of you that we do have our uh, Remix app. And uh, if you would like to download that to your phone, you can do it even right now. There you're going to find the sermon podcast, the section for sermon notes today, and if anything I say while, while I'm sharing with you today jots a thought or a question, you can go ahead and use that app to jot it down and reflect on it later. And also I've provided for you several questions that if you'd like to introduce those into your own devotional time this week, feel free just uh, follow up or a deeper reflection into the passages that we will be looking at today. I want to say something before I start sharing with you that uh, I love my wife. I want you to know that right from the beginning. I love her to death. Denise and I have been married for over, well, I hope I get this right, 21 years. Praise God. Praise God. There were many who didn't think we were going to make it this far, but here we are, so mm, in your face, okay? 21 years, and, and look, I know, I'll admit it, you look at her, you look at me, it's true, I married up, obviously, there you go, and, and by looking at the married men in this room, I would say that's true for all of you, okay? You know I'm right, guys, come on. Now, those of us who've been married for a while, we, we've developed a way of, of expressing the level of affection that we have for our spouses, okay? And it can be demonstrated in many ways. You know, they talk about the love languages. How many of those are there? There are five? I actually think there's six, because I know I have one that isn't listed in the book. It's called Leave Me Alone. Um, that's my love language. Just, just let me be. But anyway... So, I know that for Denise, one of her love languages is, is physical touch, right? So, I try as much as possible to hold her hand or, or give her a hug because I know that when I do that, I'm expressing to her the level of my warmth and affection and love towards her. And there's one way that I do it in particular. I don't know if it's, if it's my way, if I created this, but... It just happened when Denise and I are standing in line for something. You know, like when you're uh, at the grocery store waiting to pay, or you're uh, in the at the movie theater waiting to get your tickets, or you're at the at potluck, you know, waiting to get to the food, right? So if Denise is standing in front of me, what I like to do is I like to put my hands on her back and just give her a little gentle back rub to let her know, hey, I'm here. I love you. It's just my way of, of showing that love towards her. Our family was in Manhattan on Christmas Eve. We had decided that we were going to take that day and be in the city. We love going to Manhattan around the holidays because of the way it's decorated. You know, between Thanksgiving and New Year's, they have all the Christmas lights up and Rockefeller Center. And it's a great place to be during the holidays. And if you can get through the crowds and you can deal with that, I would definitely encourage you to do that sometime. Now we have decided to go to the Sunday service of Hillsong, New York. 
And if we're in Manhattan on a Sunday and the timing's right, we love to go worship there. Now, you have to get there a little bit early because a big line gets formed and, and we were in line. And I was just at that moment with Ariana, Madison, Denise, we were all kind of clustered together in this line. And I was just taking in the city and, and the beauty of the decorations and everything. And I just felt good and I felt warm and I felt, and it was cold, by the way. And if any of you know my wife, Denise, you know that her and the cold are not good friends. They're actually mortal enemies. She hates the cold. And, and if you would get to know her, knowing that she grew up in Mexico and Southern California, you'd understand why. So I thought in this beautiful moment, we're here in the city, I am going to just express my love to my wife and I'm gonna put my hands on her and, and give her this gentle rub and, and let her know I'm here, I love you. So I put my hands on her back and, and after the first wax on, wax off motion, millennials go look that up. Um, after the first wax on, wax off motion, turns her head towards me. The problem was that it wasn't her. All of a sudden, I'm looking at the face of a very strange man. Now, I, I like to think of myself as someone who's good under pressure. You know, I don't think there's many situations that I can imagine that would rattle me, right? I think I can handle most stressors out there, but nothing prepares you for the moment when you rub the back of a strange man. So I, I look over to my, I look over to my family for some reassurance, and all I see is embarrassment and laughter. They're awful, but I love them. And I, I what do you say? What do you say to a stranger that you've just assaulted? <laughs> Here is what I said. I'm not kidding you, and I'm telling you this so that you can learn what not to do, okay? <laughs> I look at this man, and I say, Sir, I'm sorry. I thought you were my wife, but Jesus loves you. <laughs> How does that make any sense at all? The worst part is we still have to stand in line with this man. Have you ever felt embarrassed before? Have you ever done something dumb that just causes you shame in your life? I have, obviously. What I described happened to me is a, is a small example of what has happened to many of us who are outcasts. Some of us have done some very foolish things in life, we've made mistakes, and we carry shame inside of us. The dictionary defines shame as a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behaviors. So when we, when we realize we've done dumb things, we've made bad decisions, we feel ashamed, and shame causes us to make certain decisions about our life. Now, I want to say something right from the beginning. Shame is not an emotion that God wants you to suffer. God does not want you to have shame, because shame and guilt are actually two very different things, and it's a subtle difference, but I'd like, to, I'd like you to understand the differences. Guilt is 
is positive, actually, in the sense that we feel bad about the things we do or the mistakes we make. We feel bad about it. But shame is negative in the sense that shame makes us feel bad about who we are and what our decisions say about who we are. It's more about our identity. Because guilt motivates us to seek connection and forgiveness. But shame motivates us to separate ourselves and hide. God doesn't want you to feel shame. Because he doesn't want you disconnected. He wants you connected. And shame can lead to very awful things. Dr. Maria Lamia, who is a clinical psychologist, she says that shame can lead to addictions, compulsive behaviors, harsh self-criticism, or self-denigration. And if you're an outcast like me, you might be feeling some shame because of maybe bad decisions you've made, and you feel like you can't be accepted, or you can't be part of the family of God, or God can't love you. Today we're going to go look at a story. It's found in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, and you can pull out your Bibles, or even in the Remix app, you can look these verses up. And this story is going to tell us, how do we get past the shame of being an outcast? So follow along in your Bibles with me. We're going to start at verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. We're going to take a quick pause there. Okay, Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives. What, had, what just happened to Jesus is he had been rejected by the leaders, by the religious leaders of his time. He'd been rejected, so he went up to the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives was a special place for Jesus. It would be not too long in the future where Jesus would be back up in the Mount of Olives after one of his disciples had rejected him, seeking connection. It was also in the Mount of Olives that King David, if you read, if you go back into the Old Testament, King David, after losing the kingdom to his son Absalom, he went up to the Mount of Olives. And he cried every step of the way, looking for connection after being rejected and lost. The Mount of Olives is the place where when you are alone and rejected, you can go and reconnect with God. Where is your Mount of Olives? Where is the place where you can connect with God when you feel alone? I want to tell you something. If you're one of these people who needs reconnection with God, Remix can be your Mount of Olives. This church family can be the place where you reconnect with God. When you feel rejected by your family, you should be able to call somebody who's part of Remix and reconnect with God's family and with God. If you're feeling rejected at work, you can reconnect with God here at Remix. If you feel rejected by society, you can reconnect with God right here at Remix. We want Remix to be your mountain of olives. That's what we live for. Let's keep reading the story. Verse 2. Now, early in the morning, Jesus came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. What a situation Jesus finds himself in. He's teaching in the temple, and all of a sudden, these religious leaders drag in this woman that they claim was caught in the very act of adultery. That would be like us right now. I'm here speaking to you, sharing with you from the Word of God, and then all of a sudden some pastors from our conference drag in 
a woman right here, bring her up on the stage, drop her here, and claim that she's been cheating on her husband. And they caught her cheating on her husband. Listen, don't get nervous. I know I've been, I'm known for having some extreme sermon illustrations. That's not going to happen right now, okay? Don't worry. But think about this. Think about what's going on here. It's a sinister plan. It has to be a sinister plan. Let's use our intelligence and our logic. It's not every day that we just run into people who are cheating on their spouses that we know of. And, to, and, and catch this woman at the exact moment when Jesus is teaching in the temple. You see what's going on here? It had to be, it had to be, if we use our intelligence, that these men set this woman up to be caught. The timing is too perfect. They set this woman up to be caught. In fact, let's go even deeper to the evil that was happening here. The man who was with this woman, you know what I'm saying, had to have been one of them. To have hired her to be in the place at the exact time so that they can barge in, catch her, and bring her to Jesus. This is the level of evil that's going on here. Let's keep reading. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? <laughs> the audacity of these men, it's amazing. Let, let's analyze what they're saying so we can understand what's really going on here and the level of evil that we're, that we're experiencing. So I already proposed to you that most likely what happened is that they set this woman up. Okay? Now let's look at this law that they're referring to. The law that they're referring to is found in Deuteronomy 22.22. And it'll come up on the screen. Here's what it says. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall put away the evil from Israel. You see the first problem? Anybody see it? You ever heard the phrase, it takes two to tango? Where's the man? Where's the guilty male in this situation? Why isn't he being thrown in front of Jesus for the justice that he deserves? Now, the Bible tells us that they set her in the midst. And this is a very interesting phrase if you look at the original Greek. It, it kind of gives the impression that they set her there and they had to keep doing it over and over, which to me means she was fighting. She was kicking and screaming. So here is, picture this, a congregation listening to Jesus, religious leaders holding down a naked woman in the middle of the church while she's kicking and screaming and resisting. Here's what most likely happened at this time. That I, it just came to me as I was reflecting on the story. What most likely happened is everyone who was there listening to Jesus teach took off. That's what most likely happened. How do I know this? Spoiler alert. Verse 10. At the end of the story it says that at the end it was just Jesus and the woman. They were the only two left. So it says to me that the church people... In seeing this woman shamed and accused, took off. That's a sad moment for me. 
We cannot be that kind of people here at Remix. In the face of shame and injustice, we can't be the kind of people who flee. We have to be the kind of people who embrace and love. Why didn't anyone who was hearing Jesus speak take off their cloak and cover this woman? Why didn't anyone stand up for the injustice that was happening? Why didn't anyone stand up and say, hey, where's the guy? If you are dealing with shame in your life, I want you to know that here at Remix, we will not run from your shame. We will embrace you in your shame. That when you are at your lowest, we are going to help you reach your highest. Everyone here is welcome, even the outcast who is dealing with shame. So they brought Jesus this legal argument related to this issue of this woman. And here was the problem. See, the Jews, they were not under their own rule. They were under Roman rule. But the problem is that the Jews had their own set of rules. These are the rules that they had established long ago when Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt and freed them through the power of God. And they had set up these rules. But the Jews could not legislate without the support of the Roman government. So here's what they basically put in front of Jesus. Jesus, should we put this woman to death according to the Jewish law? If he says yes, he's gone against the Romans. If he says no, he's gone against the Jews. The perfect no-win situation. Jesus is in big trouble. Or at least they thought. They thought they had a foolproof plan. So they thought only two things were going to happen. One, Jesus would be arrested by the Romans, or two, he would be rejected by the Jews. So what could Jesus do? Let's continue reading. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. Did you catch that? I've read this story a hundred million times. That's an exaggeration. I've read it a lot. I never noticed this piece. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. While they're all accusing this woman, pointing their fingers at this woman, saying she must die, Jesus gets down on the ground and he acts like he doesn't hear them. How many of you remember the times, those of you who have grown kids, maybe those of you who have younger kids, remember the times when you would talk to your kids and they would act like they don't hear you? You remember those times? They'd be like, hey, Johnny. Go wash the dishes. John said, Johnny, did you hear me? Huh? Huh? What? 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 Johnny heard you. And then if they don't want to hear, if they get really rebellious, what do they do? Cover their ears? You ever had that happen to you? And then if it gets really extreme and you have a really bad kid, which nobody in here has, what if they go to the la-la mode? Have you seen that? La la la, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, la la la. Why do they do that? They can still hear what you're saying. It's because what you're saying is something they don't care about. They don't want to hear it. So look at Jesus. Jesus is hearing the accusations, and let's be honest, the accusations are true. He's hearing them, he's, he's receiving them, but he's acting like he doesn't care. He's acting like it doesn't matter. Because Jesus, 
Jesus knows that your life is full of sin. He knows that you're dealing with shame. He knows that you've made mistakes. He knows what you're going through, and he does not care. Is that true, Pastor? This is his posture. It's true she was sinful. It's true she was shamed. It's true that she deserved justice. It's true, according to the laws of man and Jews, that she should be stoned and die. Jesus did not care. So what does Jesus care about then? If he doesn't care about this, what? Let's keep reading. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is out sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Listen, many of us have seen these Jesus movies, you know, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the Matthew movie, and they're wonderful movies. They're, they're, they're wonderful to watch, and they give us a, a, a unique perspective on the life of Jesus. But I don't ever want you to be fooled into thinking that that is the true picture of Jesus. To think that we can encapsulate in two, three, four hours who Jesus was is impossible. So what I want you to rely on more is how God is leading you as you read these stories and picturing it in your mind. Here's how I picture this final moment happening in this story. Jesus is on the ground and he's writing. I don't know if he's doodling, what is he doing, but he's writing. And these men are accusing this woman and they're saying she should die. And they're telling people that we should stone her. What do you say, Jesus? Give us your answer now. And Jesus comes to the end of his rope. He's fed up. And he stands up. And he gets right close to them. How do I know this? Well, look what it says. It says, then those who heard it. It means that he didn't shout out what he was about to say. Only these group of men heard it. He went right up to them. And I imagine that in his best dirty, hairy voice, look it up, you millennials. In his best dirty, hairy voice, he said, he who is without sin, whispered into him, he who is without sin, let him throw the first stone with attitude, with power. Yeah, he said, exactly, go ahead, make my day. Try it. Try to throw a stone at this woman and see what happens. Because if she's getting stoned today, everybody's getting stoned today. He must have said it powerfully because the scripture tells us that they started leaving. They said, uh-uh, this is problems. We're getting out of Dodge. This is going down quick. And pretty soon, one by one, they left Understanding Jesus' will, his power, his forcefulness, his love for this woman. And they left. Understand something about this Jesus that we serve and love here at Remix. He will always put himself in between you and the accusers. He will always stand between you and the haters. Jesus will cover you from those who want to hurt you. He will be your protection. Does it mean that you, made a, that you 
didn't make a mistake? No. Does it mean that you don't have things to deal with? No. Does it mean that your life doesn't need transformation? No. But what it means is that Jesus doesn't care about that. He cares about protecting you because he loves you. The accusers are still there. The haters keep slinging their hate. The lies keep being told. But Jesus stands for you when no one else will. And if you're suffering from shame in your life, I want you to know that here at Remix, we want to be that Jesus for you. We want to stand for you. We want to be there for you. We want to cover you with Jesus' love and grace. And we want you to feel part of this family, no matter what you're going through in your life. And here is how the story And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. About 10 years ago, oh, I'm sorry, no, about 10 years into my ministry, I got to a point where I was really struggling. I was in my second pastorate in Northern California, and I just felt like I was in a funk. I felt like I was, I was doing my job okay, but I wasn't flourishing. I don't know if you've ever been there. Like, you're in the routine of doing your job, but it feels like it's not really going anywhere. And I started feeling really guilty and actually ashamed of myself because I felt like I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't performing well enough. And that caused me to start disconnecting emotionally from those closest to me, my family, my work colleagues, the other pastors on the staff. I felt like I was a fake. Has that ever happened to you? Where you're just going to church or you're going to your job and you're smiling and you're saying hello and welcome and, and you're trying to be the best that you can be, but you know inside that you're, you're trash. That's how I was feeling here. A dear sister of the church called me one day while I was going through this emotional struggle, spiritual struggle, because I really felt like I was disconnected from God at the same time. And she said, um, Milton, I, I feel like God has shared something with me that I need to share with you. Now listen, when somebody tells you that, you got to pay attention, right? You got to pay attention. If God is speaking through somebody, you got to be there to hear it. So I said, okay, we made the appointment, we got together. And she started telling me the different things that God was impressing on her heart. I said, okay, okay. Honestly, I don't remember almost anything of the conversation, but I remember this one thing. She said, Pastor, God gave me a verse that I need to give to you, that God says you need to hear. My ears perked up, and today I want to share that verse with you because it's become my favorite verse of all time, and I still say it to myself on and on, day after day. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. No matter how you feel about yourself, must know this one thing. 
Jesus is not condemning you. Jesus does not condemn. Jesus has a love for you that is devoid of condemnation. The, same, the shame that you're feeling, the shame that you're feeling is a mix of the bad decisions you've made, we'll, we'll admit that, mixed with the lies that the world is saying about you. Because the devil wants you to believe that you're not good enough for Jesus' love. That's the shame that we feel. But I want to tell you today that because of Jesus, you are not condemned. Understand that Jesus is here to take away your shame. Jesus is your cure for shame. Even if you deserve the shame that you have, just know that that's not there because of Him. And He wants to give you a life that's free from sin, that's free from shame, that's free from condemnation, a life where you don't have to hide anymore. Jesus is the solution to shame. Put your hands, put yourself in His hands. Allow Him to stand for you to stand in front of the haters and everyone who says that you don't deserve to be part of a church. You don't deserve to be part of this family. You don't deserve to be part of society. Let Jesus stand in front of you and cover that and embrace you and love you. Would you be willing to turn your shame over to him? Would you be willing to let it go and let him take care of it? Because he just wants to say one thing to you today. You are not condemned. Live with me and sin no more. You want to hear Jesus saying those words to you today? Would you accept that phrase into your heart today? If you want to do that, I would invite you to stand with us. Stand with us as a recognition that we accept Jesus' declaration that we are not condemned, that we can live without shame and with him. We can have a life free from sin. Let's sing together and sing about that wonderful love.